Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hey, the National Hockey League plans to come back. We have a date July 10th for training camp, pending a bunch of stuff, of course. We'll talk about that. And Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred says he could order the season to start with or without an agreement. Would that be in the best interest of baseball? And we've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Uh, Once again, wanted to thank USF football coach Jeff Scott for coming on yesterday. We tried something a little different. We we actually had a Zoom call, uh, (laughs) which... You might have noticed that the heavy lifting was done by Joey Knight. Uh, appreciate him coming aboard to do that. It, that was not the entire plan. Um, I simply couldn't have it. I didn't have a great connection uh, for whatever reason. You've got the same internet as Derek Jeter's house. I do. Well, the house is, is roughly the same size, as you know, well, you know. up here in Greater Lutz. Uh, but my, uh, to be honest with you, we were having uh, what they call an electrical storm. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. It's probably because... Uh, my router is too far away, although I've never had a trouble with the Bucks Zoom calls. Of course, I had trouble with this one. Having never met Jeff Scott, uh, you know, I was just basically <laughs> frozen for a good part of it. But um, I did get the first and maybe a second question in before it was all said and done. But you know what? The guy um, is really impressive. And, you know, you read a lot about him and, and then you get to, you know, have him on the Zoom call and, and, and sort of see and hear the inflections in his voice. And um, I'll say this, and, and I'll say it about everybody, because I don't know him the way, obviously, we're going to know him after a few years, hopefully. But he seems to be the kind of guy I would, and this is the highest compliment I can pay, kind of guy I want my kid to play for. I think he's going to be extremely honest. You know, I, I thought it was interesting listening to him talk about the quarterback battle, and he mm-hmm. was just like, look, there's going to be some upset players and some upset parents and that's but the best guy is going to play and just because you play and i love this just because you start week one doesn't mean you're starting week two you have to be productive and you have to continue to earn it and you got to maximize every rep and you know what that's the way it should be and you know the whole idea that you go into the competition with an open mind as a coach because so many times as you know steve guy transfers from notre dame guy train you know and it's almost like well, we got him in the portal. He, we got to give him the first bite of the apple. He's clearly better than what we have. And that might not, may not be the case. And I think that, you know, uh, Jeff Scott's willing to, to let these guys battle it out and try to eliminate those biases that you might have. He just said a lot of things that, that resonated with me. I, I think it's unfortunate he picked the probably worst time to have his first head coaching job. But in a weird way, um, this sort of challenge, this sort of trial by fire for his players, you know, they talked about, you know, the unity walk and all those things that they've been able to bond in ways because of the circumstances that, like he said, may not have happened in his first year. 
Well, but the other part of it, too, and, and you asked, is this the best year or the worst year to have your first head coaching job? Yeah. And, and, and in some ways, look, it's not like you're going through this offseason going, man, this is not how we do it all, every year. Because you haven't right. done it every right. year. I mean, true. you know, you don't have your system. Now, granted, you probably are going to lean on a lot of what you did at Clemson with Dabo Sweeney, but you don't yeah. have your system, your way, your this is how we do this in the offseason. This is how we're handling this and this. So you were figuring everything out to begin with. Now, this doesn't make it easier, but no, you're trying to figure out how you're going to do everything for the first time. So it's just ended up being different than what you anticipated going in. Yeah, and like like a lot of coaches, and I think he he emphasized this that you know he's a creature of of, of habit in terms mm-hmm. of writing everything down. You know, on the, he's very well organized. I mean, he has every practice planned, every you know every period of that practice planned. You know what the situational drills will be, um, and and he did that you know in anticipation of being a head coach this year, and he had to basically just wad it up and throw it in the trash can as all those days went by without practice. So. Now he's got to find and, and be adaptive and do it another way. Um, and, but you're right. I mean, he, you know, they, they don't have any, any preconceived uh, notions about what this will look like. And, and frankly, it wouldn't matter anyway because it's a totally different year for, for everybody. Everybody, you know, was without, what was it, 80 days, I think, uh, between their last practice and, and, uh, and when they came or when they're going to practice again. So, you know, it's difficult. Um, but I'm, I'm really impressed with Jeff Scott. We didn't touch on this yesterday, but we could have. It would just kind of slip by with Jeff Scott on. But Rob Gronkowski, I thought this was a really, really cool story. Um, you know, he has his own foundation, the Bucks Foundation. They kind of combined to replace uh, all the equipment that was lost. I think some $15,000 of equipment lost in Blake High School in a, in a fire uh, where they kept uh, like a shed, um, the she shed, if you will, uh, where all the equipment was located. And they came up with this and, and are you know going to pay the cost and – and re- replenish uh, all that stuff. And, and you know what? What's cool about this to me, and, and I'm glad the Bucks stepped up. They do a lot of things in the community, obviously, and they, they do a lot of football stuff for uh, youth football and flag football. But to have a guy like Gronkowski who's been here, what, 15 minutes, right? Has he even been here new, yet? I mean, you know, you know. Well, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, frankly, we, we I mean, know that he's been he, he at signed, his mom's house. But, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's been down to Fort Myers because we've seen him on the Ellen show from there. So, you know, because I'm a big Ellen fan. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's neat that he just jumps right in and says, hey, you know what? This is where I live now. This is where I play now. Let me make a mark, you know, on a local high school like this because I can do it with my foundation. Just thought that was really neat of him to do it. Well, you love seeing that. I mean, you love seeing guys that just jump. Right. I mean, Tom Brady, when he first got here, uh, would they donate? Like seven hundred fifty thousand meals to feeding Tampa Bay or something That's like that. Correct. You know, That's the correct. first week or two after he signed, he and Giselle, yeah. and Gronkowski jumping in, and and not just you know playing here and being a Buccaneer, but wanting to be a part of the community as well. Yeah, wanted to leave this place better than they found it, and that's that's why these guys are total pros, and that's why they've they've won so many Super Bowls. Um, that's the kind of people that they that they are. So uh, good for Blake High School to get that equipment back at a time when they really need it. Is uh, you know high school football and some of the summer programs are starting to starting to heat up a little bit. Uh, we also got a pretty good response uh, from the baseball movies. We're going to talk about baseball in just a minute, but uh, you know, not many people agreed with me. I, I mean, I was. I guess my take on Major League wasn't all that popular. I, I'm not a. I mean, I like it, but I'm not a huge fan. Although somebody said that the baseball in that movie kind of kills it. It's not. It's not well played or believable. That was Chris Torello said that. I mean, he thought you know the locker yeah. room banter. 
and the player mentality was great, but the, the baseball yeah. itself falls short, and it does. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people like that. One that we for, that we uh, did not talk about, and somebody noted, I think, is either their first or, or near the top, was Bad News Bears. Yeah, I can't believe we forgot that one. I mean, I, I guess uh, it's, it's a, a little older one. and stuff, and you don't you, you don't think of it as much. I mean, when you talk about the Bull Durham's and the major leagues and that, you don't think of Bad News Bears and that company. But man, that is a great movie. Is that like? I mean, the original wasn't it like Walter Matthau mm-hmm. and like oh, Tatum yeah. O'Neill? Tatum yeah. O'Neill, I think, is is mm-hmm. is the uh, the pitcher. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's going way back. That was an excellent one. So yeah, appreciate you guys uh, coming up with your list. We didn't even ask for them. Everybody's just like, "Hey, here's my top five. Here's my top ten, which was cool. Love it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun talking to Chris it, both days actually. But um, certainly had and he had some great stories. Of course, uh, who knew that you know Roy Hobbs. Robert Redford was, uh, you know, was taking batting practice in his hometown and had a chance to interview the, uh, uh, you, you know, some people from the cast of A League of Their Own and some of the actual players mm-hmm. uh, that, that participated back so then. I just learned this today. I was talking to someone about we were talking about great baseball movies and, and The yeah. Natural. Mm-hmm. That's based off a book. I guess I didn't realize that. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. But, do you know, the book ends completely different. Oh, here we go. Spoiler see, alert for anybody. See, yeah, I was going to say. Now, now no, I, I like the yeah. I like the ending. I like the ending in the movie. He hits his home run, right? The lights, you know, blow up and all that yes. and then he then he's back in was it Oklahoma I think he's from or somewhere in the mm-hmm. Midwest. He's back and he and he's throwing to what is his son, right? right? Cuz mm-hmm. she's acknowledged that he has a son. And I like that ending. I thought that was a cool way to do it. Now yeah. you're gonna you're gonna ruin it for me. Well, okay, what what really happened in the book? He struck out. C- come on, he did not. That's what I was just told today. I was talking to. Uh, I mean, you couldn't have any more dramatic difference than that, right? Well, that's why they didn't make a Hollywood movie with that ending. <laughs> exactly. Like, well, that sucks. I mean, that's that's Casey at the bat, right? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the Mudville Nine. You know, mighty Casey has struck out. Yeah, it was Dave Mishkin who told me that. He's he's read the book and he said it's completely <laughs> really? different. Yeah, it was di- completely different. I was like, yeah, that would be very different. <laughs> yeah, that's about as different as it can be, and and probably more. Believable. Believable, quite frankly, well, because you mm-hmm. know the guy the guy was off his hospital bed, so. couldn't swing it at all, and then, you know. But I like I like the uh, see. I think that him trotting around those bases with, of course, the lights and blowing up and the you know the the embers and the sparks flying down. See, that's one of those iconic scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see that, you know the natural right there, right? Oh, and you that music's I mean? like playing. Yeah, you know. And so, like, that's what's cool about that scene is that it's just the penultimate. What was interesting is that they went one scene further and had him playing toss, you know, with his kid, which mm-hmm. tells you that, well, things worked out there, obviously, and, and now he's going to groom his own, uh, his own natural. So there should be a natural, too, although and They're probably setting not, up the sequel, but, you know. Yeah, well, it's taken a while. That guy would probably be about 55 years old by now, <laughs> but, you know, let's not let's – not, I remember one time I was on – and I love T.J. Reeves, right? Uh, the guy that's the Buck Sideline guy. So, so Buck Sideline guy, T.J. Reeves. I'm on. He's got a movie podcast. It's really yes. good too. Mm-hmm. And I, I apologize for not knowing the name of it, but extremely just go ahead detailed and, podcast. Oh, uh, it's incredible. I mean, they get deep into movies, and uh, but you can go on Twitter and, and uh, at Buck Sideline guy and find them. Um, but T.J. So if I was on. So my thing is, you know, I'm a big uh, few good men guy. Like I, I can't not watch a few good men probably seen it you know just 
randomly, you know, a hundred times, let's say. Okay. And various, not, not straight through obviously, but just different mm-hmm. scenes. And so I'm on with him and I'm doing this podcast. I feel like I'm qualified. And there was a whole side story to how we used to do a spinoff. It was Chris Harry, um, who's now with Gator Zone, and he used to cover the Bucks for the Atlanta Sentinel. And we did this spinoff at a time when Gruden was the head coach, and we called it A Few Good Bucks because Gruden, if you think about it, is a lot like Colonel Jessup, you know? I mean, he had that sort of cadence to him, right? He'd be like, you want an injury report? Yeah, I'd give you all the injury reports you want, man. You know what I mean? You got to ask me nicely. Like It was like you could put in the same – lingo and there, and the, how it came about was is that you know uh martin grammatica kind of went south one year and was missing a lot of critical field goals and they cut him and it was shocking right because martin grammatica I means super bowl hero right and all of that and when they cut him uh, john hated to do it but he felt like you know i had to do it and they had a bunch of blocks and and, and the a gap wasn't it wasn't all his fault and so Chris Harry and I came up with this thing. It was a few good men. It was like, ever put your head in the A-gap? Ever ask the guy next to you to put his head in the A-gap? You know, we do this or, or kicks get blocked. And we went on and on. It's like, and he even had a brother named Santiago. So we were like, you know, the release of, of Santiago's brother, while tragic, probably saved games, you know, and it was that kind of thing. So I'm on this with T.J. Reeves, and I'm telling him about this stuff, and we start asking, he starts asking about the movie. And the most random question you ever asked him reminded me of what you just said about, about The Natural and The Natural 2 was he goes, remember that girl, uh, that Lieutenant Weinberg? Remember his baby? He's pushing her in the stroller. What do you suppose she ended up doing? She'd be about 23 years old now. And I was just completely, I was like, wait, what? I, you legitimately stumped me. I have, he goes, God, she had to become a lawyer, right? I go, maybe. Well, like her I, first words were, look, pa, a mailbox. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Actually, but, every um, time I see that movie, I think of that story because you told me that before. It's so funny because there's one scene where he's pushing her and, and she's just this cute little baby. I mean, she couldn't be more than a year old. Yeah. yeah. Well, she'd be about 20, 24, 25, 27, something like that. I, you got me, TJ. A lawyer. I'll, I'll go for lawyer, TJ. Whatever you think. By the way, his podcast is called "We've Seen That." We've seen that. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen. I, we. I saw that movie. Never thought of it. I've. I've thought about. You know, the the hero in the movie is actually Joe. And I don't want to get too much into movies here because this is like doing his podcast all over again. We just did baseball, but I'll, I'll wrap it up here. The, the scene that makes no sense is if you remember, uh, you know, they they have. Uh, uh, what is it, uh, Merkinson or whatever his name was? I might be pronouncing it wrong. Markinson. Uh, Markinson, yeah, Lieutenant Mark. He he ended up going. He he ended up uh, killing himself. You know, mm-hmm. he spoiler alert. Took a steel, yeah, nickel plated revolver. You gotta give it to this guy, man. He pulled out a nickel. There you go with the Gruden again. So um, he kills himself, and he he was their biggest uh, witness, obviously. And so you know, uh, Lieutenant Weinberg and and, and Joe um, are are back at. Uh, Tom Cruise's place and, and he, he shows up with he's a half a bottle of Jack Daniels into it right like he's been drinking and she goes have you been drinking he goes mm-hmm a little and she goes I'll make some coffee she's coming some coffee that's nice and it was right after she had you know kind of strenuously objected um, but anyway uh, the point is is they got they got into a uh, they got into a big fight 
And she says, you won't, you know, you won't put Jessup on the stand. You're a coward. You're this. And she leaves. And so she's in the rain. She's walking. And he has a second change of heart. And he decides he's going to put, he's going to put him on the stand, uh, Colonel Jessup on the stand. And he, so he hops in his car. Got to be hammered, right? He's a lawyer. He's an officer of the court. And he, he's zooming down the road. She's walking in the rain. And he goes, Joanne, get in. Get in. I'm going to put Jessup on the stand. Like, no, I'm not. I just watched you go through a half a bottle of Jack Daniels like that. Did anybody notice that that was a bad idea? Um, so, anyway, that's my, that's my flaw in that movie. But uh, So, yeah, but thanks for your comments on all the baseball movies and, and the, uh, the rankings and things like that. I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with other sports-related uh, things. And So, finally, before we get to questions, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, I thought this was interesting, uh, almost sort of, in the best interest of baseball, if you will, which is the power that he wields, pretty much saying there we're going to play. Look, if I have to, I will mandate that we play. And you know what? If it comes down to that, I think it might be the best decision that commissioners had in a long time. I'll be honest with you. Here's my question. Why haven't we done this already? Why aren't we already playing? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What are we Wait. waiting for? <laughs> it's like you could have said this, I don't know, a week ago. We didn't need all this yeah. negotiation. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. If you got that power. I'm sure he wanted his bosses to be good with it first well, since they actually you yeah, know, he works you know, for details. them instead of, instead of the other way around. Because here's the thing. They can find a new commissioner if they don't like his decisions. Um, so there's that. They yeah, can but just you, fire you'd him be and, firing you know. a hero. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> you'd, you'd be. And you'd make him a, even a bigger hero. You'd make him a martyr. If he didn't, and then what are you going to do? Not play? I mean, at that point. So, yeah, I just uh, I thought, well, that's that would be good if that if that works out. They're running out of time to have any kind of length to this season. I mean, it it could end up being seventy five games, or or you know maybe south of that if it, this keeps going. MLS um, is going to start their um, their tournament, and it's not playoffs. It's it's more like a World Cup style tournament to start the season. They're starting July eighth yeah. in Orlando. Right. At this point, baseball isn't going to beat them. Mm-mm. How about that? That's crazy, right? I mean, baseball should have been playing already. Or yeah. should be, you know, underway of, of spring training and that. Well, I wonder if they'll beat hockey at this point. I mean, hockey's coming back July 10th for a couple of weeks of training camp. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to play till probably, you know, at the end of July. Very end of July, early August is games at this point. NBA is right. going to be about the same time window. Base or uh, NFL, they're going to have some uh, maybe guys back in the building as early as July 15th, I think, with quarterback school and maybe some rookies. And then uh, what was it like the 20. 20- I don't know, somewhere 21st, I want to say. What'll be really uh, weird 23rd. is any setbacks to hockey or basketball, and you may yeah. have NFL preseason games before those guys return. You could, to although they're also playing games. But. Yeah, there also was a post uh, that I saw, um, somebody, that maybe the NFL Network, that said um, that preseason games, or at least they may shorten the preseason. My, my belief, and I've had this belief for a while, and I, I, I'm just kind of off the top of my head, they canceled, you know, any kind of joint workouts, which the Bucks had a couple of those scheduled. Okay, fine. Why'd you do that? Well, because you're, you're just risking, you know, further infection if you combine two teams that, you know, are practicing together for a couple of days before they ever play a game. I would say the same is true about the preseason. Look, if you want to start the regular season on time uh, and you want it to be competitive, to be honest with you, okay, Tom Brady's not going to play much, if at all, anyway. Okay, and you know the way the preseason generally goes, the first game, 
the starters might play two series. They might play a court, not even a quarter. The second game, about the same. The only game that you, you, re- you, you ever see guys play to the end of the first half is usually the third preseason game. And quite frankly, by then, the coaches are so spooked that they know they're not playing anybody in the fourth one. So as each passing you know, down goes by, they're looking over there going, if I take him off the field right now, if Mike Evans comes off the field right now, I will have him opening day in New Orleans. And so usually that's even abbreviated. You know, sometimes they don't make it to halftime and they rarely come back afterwards. So, I mean, what are we talking about? You know, Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice games, right? Preseason. Nobody likes to watch them, really. Um, the players don't. And I know that if, if we lived in a perfect world, of course, they'd play them. And, you know, you'd, you'd live with the results, whether it's injuries or something else. But more and more, as I've covered this league, you know, the preseason is really for the last 10 guys on the roster. It's, it's, it has nothing to do. Now, you could say, well, new system, sure, for Tom Brady. You know what? He gets every rep in practice. I mean, damn near every rep, rep he's going to get in practice for training camp. And that's a lot of throws and a lot of looks, you know. And so it's, it's not as important as you think, especially for a guy that's played 20 years. I mean, this, you're not talking about Jameis Winston in his third season. Um, you know, you, or, or you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick going to start the first three weeks. You're talking about a guy that's already played 20 seasons in the NFL, and he will know how to prepare and how to do it quickly, and and maybe even have know know how to do it best if he doesn't have a preseason at all. Um, which he's gone preseasons without playing at all for New England. So, I I'm not sold that they're going to have a preseason, but I do think that um, you know a lot of what happens in these next you know few weeks or month with the NHL, with Major League Baseball, if they come back and play with the NBA, will definitely affect sort of the protocols and things that um, the NFL will follow. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right. So we, uh, as promised, have your mailbag questions here. So without further ado, let's get started. All right. Kieran asked, would it make sense for the NFL and NFL Players Association to agree to a one-year practice squad expansion? It seems to make sense from both sides due to the risk of COVID-19 knocking out multiple roster players on any given game week. It's an interesting question. Um, I think it's possible they may look at that just depending on you know how many positive tests they have throughout training camp and just to see you know, what the results of that will be. They did expand the practice squads, uh, a few players during the, the last CBA that they just signed. Uh, I know that they also have the ability to recall more players uh, from injured reserve that they can set for recall. I think it's three now. Mm-hmm. So they've got a little more flexibility. I think, I think it's possible they would do that. Um, you know, we just don't know. And, it, and imagine that, you know, somebody, um, you know, test positive and let's say you have to shut them down for two weeks right you can't have them around anybody if you if you go through that scenario a few times plus just the normal wear and tear of injuries what people don't understand about the nfl and i see it you know at practice and, and watch these guys prepare is that 
when you when you had a 53-man roster, it sounds great, right? But three of those guys are specialists. Okay, now you're down to 50. And then you, you know, you look at, well, we got to have scout squads. We got to have, you know, like 22 guys to practice against, okay? So now what's left, right? Your starters and and then if you have on on average, you know, you probably have four to five guys sometimes that can't make it out there every day. All right. So it, the numbers really start to shrink during the regular season. And sometimes it's hard to even just practice. And so, you know, if you add, you know, a couple guys testing positive that are out for two weeks, then yeah, I could, I could definitely see where they might. And I think it's one of those things they'll kind of watch in training camp. Um, I haven't heard any, any, uh, you know, plans for that just yet. I mean, obviously, training camp, you can have up to 90 players on the roster. So maybe when they willow it down, if they anticipate they might have uh, more than less uh, as far as, you know, uh, guys going out, then maybe they would do something. I, you know, one thing that Bruce Arians said the other day, I saw him in an interview. I thought this was really interesting. I hadn't thought about it. Is that, okay, Steve, so you got three quarterbacks, right? And those three quarterbacks go into a room, a meeting room, each day, Okay. Well, guess what? One guy gets COVID-19, and he's exposed the other guys to it. You also have to shut them down. So what Bruce Arians has said is, I may have to keep one of the quarterbacks, and all three of them know the system pretty well, but I may have to keep one of those quarterbacks apart from from his own uh, position group. So doing Zooms to the quarterback room. Exactly. In other words, there'd be one guy, right? There'd be it's sort of like the lone survivor, survivor in Congress. Yeah, designated yeah. survivor, and you know, when the state in of the Congress, Union yeah, right. If if like they bomb the building, he's not there during the State of the Union address, um, and so you'd have the designated survivor quarterback. It's weird, but it really makes sense, right? Because what would you do if you if you're going to do tracing? Well, hey, you know, he yeah, he's been around our guys, the other two quarterbacks, and now they can't play, or something like that. So. You know, there's all kinds of tentacles that we don't know exactly how this is going to ship ship out. But I would say that, you know, the quarterback position is one that you might want to make sure you have at least one guy that's healthy. And um, and, and look, it's not far-fetched. It just isn't that, that, you know, a star player, a quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, anybody could be like, yeah, can't play for 14 days, man. Sorry. So you might want to keep those guys apart for sure. Okay, Jake asked. What are the odds that all three Tampa teams compete and even win the three major championships this year? The odds are we can't have nice things. Have you not listened to the podcast? I mean, come on now. Do we even know that they're going to play any of them? I mean, let's get them on the field first. You're already jinxing it. That's that's what you don't do. We got a pandemic. No one's played. Um, you know, hockey is taking, what, a couple months off. You know, Brady – they say is a Buccaneer, but but I'm the only one that's actually seen him in a helmet. So, you know, I, listen, I think this, that they're all – it's unfortunate because I think they all are in, in pretty good position. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, last year notwithstanding, they win the President's Cup and get swept in four games. What they have is special, right? They were the number two seed in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, could they go into this tournament and win a Stanley Cup? Absolutely they could. They've been on the brink many times. In fact – some people think they should have gotten over the hump by now, right? This is going to be a difficult thing to try to restart, but they, you know what, they get Stamkos back. They have every situation that any other team has. And so, 
you know, it, it, the talent might win out in a situation like this. They absolutely have a chance. The Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, we watched them win 97 games and take the Houston Astros to a fifth game, and God knows what they were doing back in Houston to win that one. But, you know, with the three starting pitchers that they have, they can run out there and really five when you think about it and, and the, the ability to use openers and, and, you know, a young ball club that, that's hungry and that showed a whole lot of progress and won that many games last year, absolutely they'd be in contention, I think. Would you say World Series? I mean, maybe. Look, you just got to get in the tournament, right? You just got to try to win your division, get in the tournament, and see what happens. And then as far as the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe when you when you get Tom Brady, you're not doing it just to make the playoffs. I mean, it starts there when you haven't made it in 12 years. But but Tom Brady is has won more Super Bowls and has won more games than any quarterback in history. So why wouldn't you think that they're a contender? Um, so in, in that in that sense, taken individually, yes, they're all three contenders. They're not all going to win the championship because you know only one team does in each league. So you, good luck with that ticket in Las Vegas. If, if you've got it, you're going to make a lot of money. But Boston practically uh, did that a few years ago. They did. They absolutely did. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and they, they're very good again. They could, they could run the table again. I mean, obviously the Bruins are extremely good. You expect the Red Sox to be there all the time. Um, I don't know about the Patriots, but they're in the AFC East. Let's see what Jarrett Stidham has. We don't know. you got the greatest coach you know, ever in Bill Belichick. So – um, they're not done for sure. And, uh, but, but I, this is, this was, and it's just, we can't have nice things. Here comes the pandemic. Here comes the interruption and all that. And look, sports is secondary to what's real life out there. And we've got you know, over 110,000 people dead in this country. I'm not trying to, to, to make this more than it is, but the question was asked, are all three good enough? And I would say all three probably are good enough. Now, Again, I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet my mortgage that they would do it in the same year, much less this year. But I think all of those teams. That's how good they are. They're all competing for championships. All right, rooting for UF. Ask what damage has been done to the MLB Major League Baseball this season? Have the players and owners killed the golden goose? Well, look, the the goose wasn't flying very well um, before this happened, and so you know, there's nothing good about it if they don't come back and play. And and I think, in general, people don't want to people don't want to hear it right now. You, you've got tens of millions of people out of work, you know, um, <laughs> trying to figure out getting food lines to feed their families for the first time. Something they never thought they'd be in position to do. And I understand, you know, unions. I I understand collective bargaining. I understand these principles. Uh, and 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 you know. The owners have billions of dollars. There was a time, and it's changed because of all the pushback they got, where you had franchises that didn't want to pay their minor league players the paltry sum of what amounted to like 400 a week. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of greed going on here with billionaires, okay? And they, they say they're going to lose money. They're not going to open the books. All this, yes, this will hurt baseball. And the reason it will hurt baseball if they don't play is not only is it bad optically, but it, they'll be out of mind. They'll be out of you know out of sight, out of mind is not what you want to do with a sport that's already suffering from pace of play. Um, younger dem, you know, they have an older demographic than than they need, quite frankly, to sustain themselves. Um, there's so many things that baseball is facing just naturally right now. You know, the Houston Astros, for goodness sakes, should have an asterisk by their World Series wins. I mean, I I just think that. You know, going into the spring of next year. Oh, by the way, 
if you if you don't think they can get it together now under this climate, under all that's at stake in the way it looks in society, wait until they get to the spring next year and they need a collective bargaining agreement, they need a labor extension, and this thing continues on into next summer because there will be no baseball because there will be a lockout or a strike. So absolutely, um, it's going to take a major hit. And I think everybody in baseball knows it. I think everybody that cares about the game doesn't want to see it. And for that reason, I think that's why we just talked about earlier, Rob Manfred absolutely knows he'll destroy his, not destroy, but he'll do irreparable damage to his league if he doesn't have games this year. And that's why I think he you know, feels as if he can mandate that they play. And I hope he does if it comes to that because – I think it would damage the game beyond beyond some repair. Well, yeah, I think if they don't play, it definitely damages it. I think it's a missed opportunity that they're taking this long, and that at this point they by the could time, be the only game on TV well, right look now. Look at right? NASCAR's got you know the best ratings it's had in years because there's nothing. Golf else came opposite. back today as yep. we taped this podcast yep, golf, on Thursday. You know, golf is back, expecting you know bigger than normal ratings for a, an average tournament in June in in Texas, Fort Worth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. I think they're missing an opportunity because by the time they get back now, mm-hmm. not only are you going to have other competition, but MLS is going to be playing a you know World Cup style tournament, which will be fun. NBA and NHL are going to be in the playoffs as you're yeah. opening your season. How about and that? And by the time that competition's done, the NFL is going to be going as you're playing. So I think it's you know if they play this year, I don't think they've they've. They've done irreparable damage to the Not league. if they play. But I think they've I missed the, an opportunity. They I think they've missed yeah, an opportunity. It, yes, they have. You've demonstrated that. If they don't play, I think it, it's difficult to, to say they yes. haven't hurt their game. I agree. But I would agree with you. I don't, think they've, I don't think they've done enough to it yet, except, as you mentioned, missed an opportunity. I think if they come back, everybody will, will be glad they're back and will watch those games. But I mean, it's a reason um, that golf and NASCAR were in such a rush to get back is they wanted to be the only games in town. And, absolutely. And those sports had some easier hurdles to get over to get back. Yeah. Some of the advantages they had with golf and, and of course, racing is that, you know, the fans aren't the sound of the game, as, you, as you've talked about. It's, uh, uh, you know, you don't, you don't pan to the crowd necessarily. You hear them in golf after the, the, the ball is struck. The, you know, the car is the thing. You know the the sound of of, of racing, um, and so you know you could you could pan out the fans, and it was still it was still what pretty much what you'd see in here. They're also more individual type sports compared to team sports. Exactly. So exactly. you have those issues. I mean, you know, you have your no you locker know, your, your room, pit, for your pit crew and stuffs on your team, but you're, yeah. you're not the collective bargaining part of it. The all that part of it that goes into it. Yeah, the locker rooms, the you know, all that's separate. So on an individual type sport. Okay, Kyle asked, was wondering what your thoughts are on the Chris Archer injury. And do you think his time in Pittsburgh is done? And could it possibly be the end of his career? I, I don't know the nature of the injury. I mean, I've heard it before, um, and, and not so much for baseball. I think it's one that I've heard in hockey in the past. But yeah, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound good under any circumstance. I, I would say this, that um, apparently they have a buyout of $250,000 they can get out of that contract, and they will certainly do that. Chris Archer, I mean, to say the Pittsburgh Pirates made a bad deal would be kind of an understatement, not all because of the way Archer performed, but uh, certainly the way the, the Rays got over on uh, on the trade uh, with Meadows. I, I just think that, you know, Archer is one of those guys, and I wouldn't rule him, I wouldn't rule his career out. I, again, there's 
there's two things, right? There, there's the physical. So let's see if he can come back from this. And not being a doctor, I don't know how it will impact him. It's not his arm, but anything that has to do with, you know, the abdomen, um, certainly that's that's a concern. Um, I think that he has – I've always believed that he has one of these arms, Steve. I don't know why they haven't turned him into a closer. There was a time I was at – I remember I was near Chris Archer, and I didn't mean to overhear it. I was at one of these – celebrity bar things you know um maybe it was one maybe it was joe madden's thanks miss or something i don't know but archer was having a conversation with a buccaneer player and i forget which who it was maybe vincent jackson anyway regardless they were talking and you know archer was talking about uh how you know he's going hey man this is a couple of years ago he's hey man i'm gonna be 30 next year and the player was like oh wow you know you know that's that's really something and but but you know the my thought immediately was, yeah, well, if it doesn't work out as a starter, I mean, he has one of these arms um, that's pretty electric, and I could see him coming out of a bullpen for two or three innings or even even potentially being a closer if he could get his velocity back up and just, you know, just attacking hitters. So I, I don't think his career's over. They're always looking for guys that have a resume and competed as much as and he competes, mm-hmm. but you know, it hasn't gone well for him in Pittsburgh. And, again, not all of it's his fault. But I can't I, – there's no way I can see that the Pirates – you'd be taking on a player, first of all, it's probably going to be overpaid based on his production for sure. And then, number two, the injury is the biggest thing. And you wouldn't really know what you were getting, um, you know, with a guy that's into his 30s now. Barring the medical part, assuming that he recovers and, and can sure. pitch again. His option next year is eleven million dollars, which the Pirates can pay two fifty two hundred fifty thousand and get out of that. Okay. The, the biggest question, whether it's the end of his career, assuming the medical stuff is good, yeah. is what's he willing to play for? Because the question yeah. is, is how much is you know it, it, if a team offers him five million a year, would he take that? Would he take it? Yeah. Or is he saying no? I'm worth ten or whatever he thinks he's worth. That's so right. a lot of it with veterans, and, and particularly after injuries, it depends on what are you willing to play for. Right. And it would be tough because I mean if I'm him I'm not I'm not quitting baseball and I got to come mm-hmm. back from this injury so I'm going to rehab, right, and try to get myself back into the game because I don't know what the Pirates are thinking. I mean maybe they would pick up his his option, but I'm going to try to get ready regardless of whether I play for Pittsburgh or not, but then then I'm going to come back and price myself out. I mean, I don't know, you know, I think he's going to take a hit. I think he's going to take a, a hit, and, he's, and you're right. It'll come down to whether he wants to resume his career. But, uh, man, after going through what I would imagine be a tough rehab, I would think he would do it. Yeah. Less asked, Rick, it's hard to ding the Ray scouting department, but they drafted a high school pitcher in the first round who hasn't pitched this year. Seems like a stretch to take a player with such a small sample size in round one. Your thoughts? All right, well, he's talking about uh, Nick Bitsko, who uh, is a, a pretty talented pitcher to begin with. First of all, don't forget, uh, you know, it, what, through no fault of his own, did he not play. <laughs> I mean, uh, everything kind of got shut down, as I, as I recall. So I think it's the uh, first time in many years that um, there was no high school players drafted in the first seven picks. Right, exactly. And, and a lot college. of it's because – High school players didn't get their senior years, and so you're, you yeah. know, what are you drafting really? So it was, you know, a lot of the high school kids slid down a little further than they normally would be. So through no fault of his own, of course, with the coronavirus, he didn't get to pitch this year. But he actually is a guy that uh, the reason he played only two years is that he decided to go ahead and, and finish school. He graduated. He's graduated. Uh, he would have had his senior year 
coming up. And he got and he because of that he was eligible for the draft and 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 now he's going to go play professional baseball. But look, they they've got plenty of of homework on this guy. He has an electric arm apparently. Um he he's a he's a guy is a, a bright prospect, somebody that has a great makeup uh, to be a pitcher and you know, is it a little bit of a chance? Sure. Um but it's risk reward. I mean, typically and this year is the outlier because, like you said, a lot of guys didn't have their final years of high school to evaluate. But typically, your best players, the guys that are drafted higher, are high school players. You know that that show so much promise before they go to college. And and you know the one upside about getting a high school pitcher in particular, and this is important, I think, mm-hmm. is that those guys that pitch in college, I'm here to tell you, their their coaches say. We're, we worry about pitch counts. We make sure we don't overuse them. By the time they come out of college, they've thrown a lot of pitches, man, mm-hmm. a whole lot of pitches. And I would rather have a guy at a high school with a great arm that hasn't burned it out for three years, you know, pitching for, say, and I'm not picking on this school, Old Miss or Vanderbilt, right? Um, if I could, if I could have my choice or Mississippi State, you, you pick the school, um, that that I can get into minor league baseball, and I know one thing, we're going to take care of him. Mm-hmm. We're going to take care of his arm. We're going to make sure that we don't extend him too quickly. We're going to make sure that, you know, um, you know, we limit his pitches because we're, we're worried about his entire future. You know, we're, we have a big investment in him, and we want to see him be at his best when he gets to the major leagues. I'm not saying that college coaches don't do that, but never forget this because I played the game. College coaches get paid to win. They don't get paid to develop players. Mm-hmm. They don't. Nobody gets a bonus because three guys got drafted in the first round. Nobody. Okay? It's a feather in your hat for recruiting, for sure, you know, when you're trying to convince a guy not to sign out of high school and to come to you and look what I did. I've got three guys, you know, that got taken in the first round from Vanderbilt. But at the end of the day, those college coaches, and many of them are there for years and years, it's because what? They win. And to win, you're going to play the guys that get you. You're going to ride the horses. I've seen it happen. The great Mike Martin, Florida State coach, who you know was retired recently and was tremendous and, and one of the best college baseball coaches of all time. But I was at a World Series. He had a young pitcher named Richie Lewis, and uh, you know the guy was all of about five foot ten, maximum effort guy, grunted on every fastball he could throw in the nineties. Watched him pitch. He threw one hundred and fifty something pitches one day. I think it was a complete game or close to it. And then the next game, the next day. He was closing out a game for the Seminoles. And so, you know, again, and he ended up having a very short career. He, he was in, uh, I think, the Montreal Expos. I think he made it to the big leagues for a little while. But, you know, I just I think teams would much rather, if they find a good arm, protect it and develop it and, and be able to, you know, because they have the investment. I mean, this is a guy that they, they want to – pitched for 10 years you know in their organization i mean i've heard this guy compared to none other than justin verlander i mean you start hearing those names i mean it's it's a little ridiculous right but by the same token it tells you how good his arm is all right carl asked what the hell happened to the state of college football in florida we kicked ass in the 90s but now fsu miami uf they're all up and down usf ucf still trying to find their way National titles always ran through here. I miss the Bowden Spurrier UM swag eras. Always good sound bites. I do too, and I think you I think you hit on it. I think coaching is a big part of it. And I don't think that they've had the coaching 
Um, you know, now Dan Mullen looks like he's got it going at Florida. Let's see what he does with it. I mean, he's talking about undefeated seasons, and I think they're in a position to do some stuff in the SEC, certainly. You know, but as far as Florida State and Miami goes, I I think they they had some letdown. I mean, Jimbo Fisher, you know, won a national championship and competed in in, in the semifinals for another one. Certainly had a good run. Uh, what he win? Like I think four ACC titles or something like that. I mean, he had a lot of success, but. By the time he left, the cupboard was a little bit bare, and then you haven't had it with Willie Taggart. You you know you haven't had it in Miami with Al Golden and some of these guys. So recruiting's a big part of it. What happened, quite frankly, was Alabama and Clemson. I mean, you know, in the S and Georgia to some extent. Um, you know, those have become destination schools. You still got schools in the Big Ten. I mean, everybody comes and recruits Florida really, really hard, and so you know recruiting is is about coaching as well and selling your program and maintaining a standard and getting guys to the nfl i mean we saw years go by without certain players from those programs going to the nfl also ucf got some guys and usf got some. i mean you know there's there's a lot of, of of people onto the scene so i would love to see those days when it was the big three you know what i mean but guess what you get some new kids in town that want to play too and so uh, but predominantly, I think, you know, we know that college football has been dominated by the SEC, by Alabama, and now Clemson is right there, and I think Georgia as well. So a lot of competition for uh, those players. And we'll wrap this up with Steve, who said, do you think COVID-19 will influence how USF would build a home stadium, including the size, even if they don't build for another five to seven years? Well, I think COVID-19 is going to change sports in general. And I, and I have said this, and I think it would be true with college, uh, you know, or any, or any building, is that I think it's going to be smaller capacity. I, I just, you know, whether we separate people or, or how they do it with more, you know, amenities and, and sky suites. I mean, I believe, at least in the NFL, that the next stadiums you see – um, will be full of amenities, very expensive tickets, some not so expensive, but for the most part, you know they're going to price they're going to price some folks out of those buildings, and they're going to get their money back another way. Maybe it's pay per view, maybe it's just charging an obscene amount of money to go to those games. But you know, there was a time when you know the the threat was always. You know, is the NFL going to become like WWE or something? Is it going to be like filmed in front of a studio audience type thing? And it seems like it's kind of leaning that way. I mean, can you have these crowds, right? Now, college football, you know, so much of that, of the revenue they make in college football, yes, there's TV money, but it's attendance. And it supports so many programs. So I don't think that they're going to be saying at Alabama or at Michigan, hey, let's build a smaller stadium. First of all, they're not going to build stadiums there because the big house is the big house. But um, you know, as far as USF goes, you know, or, or if we're talking about the Rays, I mean, do you need these massive 65,000-seat buildings? I, I don't know that you do. You'd like to spread out, but you'd also like to separate uh, in some capacity. It, it's a great question. I think I'm right about the NFL, though. I've talked to enough people that I think the new generation of NFL stadiums won't be like Jerry World. They, uh, you know, even though they build a monstrosity in L.A. and maybe even in Las Vegas – but I think you're going to start seeing the size of these buildings come down as opposed to going up. 
All right, some great questions. Really good week of podcast. I hope you guys join us. We're here every Monday through Friday. And, of course, sports are starting to wake up. we got the big golf tournament this weekend. Of course, they've been racing for a while now. Hopefully we'll have some team sports coming up uh, certainly by um, the beginning of July. So stay safe out there. That's first and foremost. There's this, this pandemic is still out there. So make sure you uh, protect yourself and your family and come back. And listen to us on Monday. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico, to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.